Okay, so so here we are. We're at Parsha Tzvayichi. We are at the last Parsha of the book of Genesis. Right? This is crazy. This is crazy. It's 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 crazy because it it feels like time went so quickly and so slowly at the same yeah. time. Um, and yet here we are. And um, okay, so the the Torah the, the name of the Torah portion is Vayechi. It starts it starts in chapter forty seven, verse twenty eight. And um, there's an, an interesting phenomenon that you will not see in a Chomish, but you will see in a Torah scroll. Okay, and the phenomena is that Parsha's Vayechi is what's called a Parsha Stuma. It's a closed Parsha. Has anybody ever seen the inside of a Torah scroll? Yeah. We have some yeses, we have some noes. So basically, there's no punctuation in a Torah scroll. Okay? It'll just have the word, it goes in columns. I should have brought a picture, but I didn't think about that. It goes in columns, and then whenever the, there, there's going to be some kind of break in the Torah, whether it's going to be between an idea or whatever, there's going to be an empty space of letters. So that means sometimes there's a space of three letters, sometimes there's a space of seven letters, but there's always a space. And, and I, if I'm not mistaken, I think you have a space of seven letters between one Torah portion and the other Torah portion. Parshas Vayichi is the only Torah portion in the entire book that has no space. That means it just, the letters just keep going. The words just keep going. I mean, they're obviously divided into words, but if you were to look at the end of last week's Parsha where it says, there would be no space between, there should be like a space of seven letters, which is, I don't even think it's a, I don't think it's a full handprint, like a hand thing. It's smaller than, than your finger. Um, there's no space. And so the first question that we want to ask is, and Rashi asked the question right away is, why is Vayechi Stuma? Why is this a closed Torah portion? What is hidden or not revealed about this Torah portion? So Rashi brings one example, one answer, and he says that Yaakov Avinu, our father Jacob, this Parsha pretty much is going to deal with his end of life issues. And, um, and he wanted to tell his children when the end of time was going to come. He wanted to tell them when Mashiach was going to come. And Sorry. what? Somebody was, oh, exercise was like yeah. he wanted to, and then he lost the right when he was going to. Um, it was Satum. It was closed. The information was closed to him, and he couldn't tell his children. And his and per- parenthetically, give, it was hidden from him, so he was like, he didn't remember it, so he couldn't give it to them. He was very, very distressed. And so the children said to him, they said, Shema Yisrael, because we know Yisrael is one of his numbers, one of his numbers, Yisrael is one of his names. So they said, Shema Yisrael, listen, our father Israel, Hashem Elokeinu, your God, Hashem Elokeinu is one, it's, it's all, we all believe in the same, in the same God. And that's when he answered the second line that we say in Shema was his response to them when they said, like, he was like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with the kids? Who doesn't have, like, somebody's, like, not up to spiritual par, and that's why I can't give them this information. And um, at the end of the day, that was, in fact, not the case. Um, there's a lot of conversation within the commentaries, and one of the things that it talks about in Hasidus, the Rebbe brings, like, what would it have been helpful to tell them, like, we're still in exile now, like, a bunch of thousands of years later, like that would not have been inspiring at all to say, by the way, redemption's gonna happen, and you know, 
4,000 plus years. Like that would not have, it, it was not 4,000. That was, that was in the year, whatever, two, two, two something biblical years. Now we're at five, seven, so whatever. It's a lot of, it's a lot of time. It's not at all inspiring. It's like not happening in my lifetime, not in my children's lifetime, not in my grandchildren's lifetime. Um, huh? Right. So how is that helpful? And so the, so the two things are, two things are very interesting. First of all, um, there was, brings down that had everybody really like pulled it together, then the Egyptian exile would have been the only exile that we ever had to do. So even though it was still going to be 200 years away, but that's still not thousands of years. And that's something like it maybe could have given them the push to say like, yalla, let's do this properly. Like, let's do what we need to do and get out of here. The, the, the flip of that is, is that by definition, exile is something that you don't know when it's going to end. Like by definition, it doesn't matter what you do or don't do, but by definition, the not knowing part of the conversation is what's very important. I'm going to share a, a short, it's not a tire, it's just a thought that um, I had years ago, I shared with, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody and, and I wanted to be a source for him and all the soldiers. He's currently in Aza. So this is a, this is a, a tire that we shared a long time ago. And he was saying that when he was, um, so Shmuel ben Chiana should be safe and everybody should be safe. Um, um, so when he was going to the army the first time, now he's, a, now he's a reservist, but when he was going to the army and he was going for one of the elite units. So at one point, they, um, they just told everybody, like, start crawling. Go. Like, not go for an hour, a day, a five day. Like, just go. And he was explaining to me afterwards, like, there was a, it was a certain part of the, of the, of the, of the training or the, the, the trials that, like, too many people were still sticking it out. And so they had to get somebody to drop out. So they didn't say, go for an hour, go for five days, go... Because if you knew how long it was, even if it was a crazy number, you would pace yourself and you say, okay, I got to go crawling for five days... Okay, breathe, go, right? But if you don't know, it could be a minute, it could be five hours, it could be 10 days, you have no idea. That not knowing is, is what's crushing. Um, and he was saying then, he was bringing it as, as I was, and so, so, what he, so they, they started and one of the soldiers said, no, forget it, I, I can't, I'm not doing this. And I was like, are you sure, are you sure? And he, there, he's like, yeah, I, I, I'm done, I can't do this. And as soon as that guy said, I'm out of here, they said, okay, trial's over and everybody, everybody could stand up. So he was saying about the place of, like, Mashiach comes from the place of not knowing. You know, from the place of not knowing. And I was the skeptic, and I was like, maybe the lesson was that somebody has to give up. And then Mashiach could come. He wasn't buying my, he wasn't buying my thing. But, but, but his point was the, the not knowing. You know, we have another friend who also uh, was going for an elite unit, and part of the, their, their trials was they had everybody hanging from, like, I guess monkey bars. For lack of a better, like in a, some kind of shape, everybody had space and they were blindfolded. And they had no idea, like whoever's left hanging, but they have no idea what's going on around them because they're, they're, they have a, you know, they're sensory deprived. And this kid was literally just hanging, he was singing songs to himself. He was singing, you know, Carlos be good for hours. He was the last one up there by hours because he had no idea. He was just like in his own zone until they finally tapped him, like, you can get down now, like, it's fine. But, but the point so of Gullos, the point of Gullos, is that we don't know. We so don't know. Old, 
the time though. Like Absolutely. it's like it's like always Hashem's timing. It's never like our Listen, timing. Listen, like, I, I, I want crazy. I want to I want to say it's something. Like it's no, no, I want <laughs> no, I want to agree with you. I want to agree with you. And one of the things is one of the things that we find with our relationship with God is that our our the Jewish fatal flaw is timing. It's timing. We want it now. We want it in our time frame. We want it when we see it. Like for us, this makes sense and this timing is good and therefore it should happen now. And God's like, I have a different plan. Mm. I have a different plan. Which is a terrible thing. Like, like, it's such a challenge. It's beyond such a challenge. It's, it, you know, like when we talk about the place, slightly tangential, but when we talk about the place of a test, in, in, in Judaism, we know we talked about that Avram Avinu had 10 tests. The place of a test isn't a challenge. Mm-hmm. A place of a test is something that you cannot do. That's what it is. The, the definition of it, it doesn't make, it, it's it, the, the definition of a test. A challenge means I need to push myself, I need to hold myself together, and I can overcome this. The place of a test is that it doesn't make sense on any level, and Hashem's asking me, to do something that I don't even see where or why or what. I'll give you for example, right? The Jews leave Egypt. Spoiler, it didn't happen this week, but it's going to happen in a couple of Torah portions. Jews are going to leave Egypt, okay? And they're going to go in the desert, and they're not going to have water for three days. Okay, now, no water in the desert is a big deal. It's a big deal, right? It's a really big deal. Like, but here was a question God wanted to know. You've been through a year of... Of, of, you know, the, the plagues. You've been through, you've seen, we crossed the sea. Like, we had a lot of, like, show and blah, 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 you know, MGM quality things happening here. Do you think I forgot about the water? Do you think I forgot about the water? Or, or, is God asking us to dig deep and say, I know you got my back. I don't see how this works. I don't understand it, but I know you got my back. And had we done that, well, we didn't actually, by the way, right? We ended up like, oh, we have no water, we're going to die, we should get back to Egypt. Right? It's, it's, I want to say that it seems to little old me such an unfair request. To say that we should just say, like to be able to hold on when we look around and we say, this can't go on. This can't go on. This is crazy. This is, doesn't make sense. How does this work? Blah, blah, blah. You can look around what's going on with us today. Every single day, we're afraid to open the news because we don't want to see the names and the faces. And it's terrible. And where's the place? So the truth is, I'm going to contradict myself, that on the one hand, we need to shout to God and say, enough, enough, enough. It doesn't work for us. We're not buying this. I know you have a plan, but can you speed it up a little bit? Like, that's one thing that we're supposed to do. And on the other hand, somehow concurrent with that, we need to be able to say, I know you didn't forget about us. I know you didn't just drop the ball on this and forget what's going on in this little corner of the region. Like, and, and how do we do both of those things truly faithfully is, is I guess, is our challenge today, right? How do we, on the one hand, scream and daven and say, this cannot continue at the same time God, I know we got a plan. It would be so nice if you could speed it up a little bit because we're not getting your timeline. Like, we really don't appreciate your timeline. We know you have a timeline, but could you yell at it a little bit? Could you, like, 
We're such impatient ADHD people. We can't, we can't even deal with this. So yeah, maybe uh, a monkey, maybe we all need to attach it, attack, tap into our ADHD and say, okay, we can't deal with this. Like, but, but somehow at the same time to believe that there, is, that there is a plan. Is there any way to actually speed up the timeline like through prayer or is it just like you kind of wait it out? There are many people who say, we can't do anything to speed up the timeline. Just got to wait it out. And anything you do, just... Pointless. pointless. You're spitting that out. Like, whatever. You can't do anything about it. That's not really what Hasidus believes. Like, the Rebbe absolutely believed in going, shining light, adding light, adding goodness, adding kindness. He wasn't just doing it to keep us busy. Because, like, just keep us off of, you know, just keep us off our phones to go do something good. What? <laughs> I was saying, no people say that. Like, you should be good. Like, you remiss, so it could bring us closer to Mashiach. Correct, correct. So, if, so, so the question is, there's different schools of thought. It's nice, that, it would be nice if everybody said one more miss would bring us closer to Mashiach, yeah. right? Not everybody actually does believe that there are lots of parts of Judaism that are like, listen, God has a plan, whenever he wants, like us rushing, us begging, us pleading is not going to make a difference. On the other hand, when you, when you sort of end up with this, this flavor of urgency, you know, one of the things that that I definitely grew up with was the, the Rebbe had this incredible, incredible sense of urgency to what can we do to move it faster? Like, we, it's just not, we got to be able to do something. To just say, we'll just sit back and live our little lives and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Like, we, no, <laughs> we're, we're not buying that. Now, is there a place to say that lots of Jews believe that? Yes. Do they have a source for believing that? Yes. Is that the only source? No, not at all. So that's why we do believe that every single thing that we do, every single prayer, every single tzedakah, every single act of kindness, every time we do what's right and not what's easy, we are adding weight to the scale of, of, of goodness and kindness and, and, and redemption. The other question is, no, like, what's up with that? Like, I don't know. End of my rant for today, maybe. This is just an observation, but yes. the like tension that you were talking about just between, you know, having faith, like putting your faith in Hashem that like, not that there's a reason for everything that's happening, but like having faith that he's going to like take care of like the, like Israel and the Jewish people. But then also like the idea that like, why is he doing this? And like the frustration of like, why is Bert not doing this, but allowing yeah. this to happen. Um, and it's just been really interesting for me because honestly I'm like living in LA right now and like I've just seen so many people, like, Jews that I'm friends with who, like, are not really very religious or, like, very faithful, I guess. So many people have, like, turned towards religion since October 7th and, like, turned, like, towards prayer more and developed more of a connection with their faith. Um, and I I kind of thought that it would go the other way. Like, there's, there's mm-hmm. like... A lot of times I feel like when something really bad happens, like something tragic, a personal tragedy or like a tragedy that affects a lot of people, people will turn away from faith. Like they will say, this is not my God. Like my God would not have done this or allowed this to happen. Um, And like, it's been kind of an opposite effect that I've been witnessing and like myself experiencing as well of like feeling like more wanting to turn towards faith and like put more belief in Hashem that like he will take care of things as opposed to turning away from it as a result of what's happening and I guess it's just an observation but it's just something that I felt was really interesting to witness because 
I have a lot of friends who are like of other faiths, like Christian, Catholic, whatever. And like when a loved one has died, it's really shut them like away from religion. Like shoot, not even, that's just like one example, but just anything tragic happening, like my God would not have done this or allowed this to happen. So I'm shutting myself off from it. And it's just really interesting to witness that I've seen the opposite effect with people of the Jewish faith since October 7th. And that like tension that you were talking about is just... It's just interesting to observe. Um, first of all, thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I think, I think, I think that because everything that we thought we could rely on was pulled out from under us, mm-hmm. we're like, so then what's the answer? There's got to be some, there's got to be something. There can't be nothing. So if it's not going to be my institutions of higher learning, it's not yeah. going to be the people who I thought were had my back and were my friends. Okay, so then, so then where, where's it going to come from? Yeah. And I think it is, I think it's very, very powerful that people are, cho- are choosing to lean into faith um, and knew God enough, died. People are turning into faith. Who'd like, what? That's what I think. Malky, I'd comment. It's crazy because, uh, like, it's always been like this. Always, 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 always in the history, it's always been like this. And I, I remember I was reading a book about Kaddish, like about different stories of people um, who were reading Kaddish and who started to, be, to read Kaddish or whatever, like all crazy stories. And like literally the third of this book was during the Shah. Like the third. Like it's crazy because you think about it, it's the greatest tragedy that we could have like imagined. Like and somebody still cannot, cannot wrap their mind about it and we cannot wrap our mind, our mind about it. But like... The stories of people who started reading Kaddish for their uh, murdered ones during this time. It's like, like not even, you know what I mean? Some of yeah. them were not even Jewish, like, meaning like, well, right. likely not Jewish. But still, it's, you know, the, I think this is very, like, you know, that speaks a lot about our nature. That like. I, I want to I add one thing. Yeah. I think that, um, that the Jewish response to general tragedy has to be God, nobody deserves this and, and and therefore it has to change. I think sometimes when things happen to us on a more you know, on a more micro level, we need to maybe sometimes take it as a hmm, what's going on? You know? Um, but when it when something happens on such a large scale, I think our response is only sort of like like Abraham when he's faced with the destruction of Sodom. He's like, nobody deserves this. This doesn't this a just God doesn't do this, and that's like you know we need to argue with God and say no 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 this doesn't work. So I think that we do have the the right to say no this doesn't work for us. Speed up your timeline, and at the same time, you know maybe personally we, we look at things differently. Sydney, you come. Yeah, I was just gonna like everyone talking on this. Like we were learning this with Esther Shemtov. We were learning like discourse from the Rebbe, and exactly he was saying what the Hasidus says that tests are like totally dark they're like what you were saying they're not challenges that you can it's gonna be hard but you can overcome like they're literally impossible and um the only way to respond and like it kind of sounds like what we're saying like the natural jewish response is like to also respond or she was saying the tests are illogical like how do you survive three days in the desert without water um and the only way to respond is like with no logic and like it, it's just so funny like it's Illogical, like what the um, Neil Lazarus was saying, like Israel was supposed to be like a protected homeland where Jews never have to worry about if God forbid something ever happens, like another Holocaust, and Jews were like unfortunately yeah. slaughtered in their own homes in like really awful manners. 
and it would make perfect sense if people just like walked away from their religion and all of a sudden all these Jews are like going to shoals now connecting more people who are already religious like deepening everything so it's just interesting to see that like the test is impossible and it has no logic and that's exactly how we respond we're responding with a place of not logic yeah but really but enough like yeah enough uh, we've proven the point. I feel like we've proven the point, you know? Like, I know I don't get to decide, but whatever. Anyway, so that was the beginning of our Parsha. Sorry. We have to get into our Parsha. Guess what? Sorry. It's okay. Shocking, but true. Okay. So, um, so we start off We start off with telling us that Yaakov uh, lived in the land of Mitzrayim for 17 years. It tells us that he lived for 147 years. By the way, last week's Harsha told us that he came to Egypt when he was 130 years old. So, like, if you gave us some of the numbers, we could have figured out the math. Um, right? Um, so a lot of the commentators talk about the idea that 17 is the numerical value of the word tov, right? Right? Emma, what's a tet? What? Uh, tet uh, nine. Nine. A vav is? Six. Six. And a bet? It's two. Okay, so what do we have here? One is easy math. Seventeen. 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 Right. Tov is the is the is the is the miracle value of seventeen, and the sages tell us that Yaakov's best years of his life were in Egypt. Okay, the best years of his life were in Egypt. In fact, if you take a look at the first word, Brina, the first word of our parsha is Vayechi. Mm-hmm. Okay. Give me gematria. Give me the miracle value. Vav Six, is- ten. Ten. Mm-hmm. Eight. Uh, Eight. Ten. Ten. Okay, so what's this? It's a little bit harder, this math. Thirty-four. Thirty-four. Okay, thirty-four is two times seventeen. It means had two sets of seventeen years that were amazing. One, the first set of seventeen was from Yosef was born until he was sold. And the second seventeen. And the second, Yaakov had a very, very hard life. Yaakov's life was challenge after challenge after challenge after challenge. He had a very hard life. He had two sets of good years. The first 17 years when Yosef was born, from when Joseph was born until he was sold. And the last 17 years when he was back in Egypt, which is the weirdest thing. Because Egypt is, is, is known to be the antithesis of goodness. It's the antithesis of a place that recognizes God. And somehow over there, he has the best years of his life. And one of the things that Hasidus talks about the idea is that last week we spoke about that Yehuda went and set up, there was his, he had, like his whole life mission was, came to a completion. He had all the family together. They were, there was peace, there was harmony, there was learning, there was meaning, there was purpose. So yes, he didn't have the land of Israel, which he's going to, in this week's Torah portion, he's going to go back there. But the place of having everybody together and having everybody living purposeful, you know, whatever Jewish lives looked like in Egypt pre, uh, pre-Sinai, uh, there, so there was something that was very, very, very special. Um, we do know that Yaakov had a very special connection to Yosef, which we discussed a little bit last week. Um, and, and mostly, not so, yes, because he was Rachel's son, but also because he was the, the, the genes that we needed to, to make it through exile which we also spoke about a little bit last week, so we're not going to get into this week. So now what happens is that he, he's starting to get older, and, um, and he calls Yosef, and he says, to jo- he says to his son Joseph, don't bury me in Egypt. I don't want to be buried in Egypt. I want to, be, I want to go back to the land of Israel to be buried. Can you swear to me? Can you do, in, in verse uh, 29, it says, 
but do with me chesed ve'emes. Do a kindness and a truth with me. And, um, and the sages tell us, and Rashi brings it down, that this, the kindness that one does to, a, to the dead is considered a true kindness. It's chesed ve'emes, it's truth and kindness, because there's no expectation of reparations. Anytime we do something for somebody else, maybe, you know, not that we're doing it for, altru- you know, for, for not altruistic reasons, but it's possible that there's going to be some kind of you know, benefit to us in the future, um, but when you do a benefit to somebody who's not alive anymore, there's absolutely no, there's no benefit that you're, you're, you're looking for. And, and he tells him to swear that you're going to take me up to the land of Egypt. And that is the first scene A of our, of our Parsha. Chapter 48 opens up that time passes. It's not clear how much time passes. Um, uh, the, a lot of the commentators talk about that it was a lot of time that passed. And Yosef hears that his father is sick and he takes his two sons to bless them. Okay, um, the majority, I want to just say, just so we, for, for purposes of that, we finish this Parsha. The majority of this Torah portion is going to be Yaakov setting his affairs in order. He's going to bless all of the children, his grandchildren. He's going to be buried in Egypt. Spoiler, it does. Sorry, he's going to be buried in the land of Israel. And the end of the Torah portion will be where Yosef passes away and is buried in Egypt. That's our whole Parsha. Yeah, we finish the whole Parsha. Okay? Um, <laughs> But I want to, but I want to, yeah, you have a question? I didn't say this yet. This is what's going on now. So now what happens is, so Yosef comes with his two sons. He has his oldest son at his left hand. Imagine if I'm facing you, right? My left is your right. Your right is my left. So he has his oldest son by his right, by his left side to his father's right. He has his younger son by his right to his father's left. And he says, Father, bless these children. Now, for all the lefties in the room, and I apologize in advance, Judaism has supremacy for the right. Right is considered the stronger side, the more, the more dominant side. And we know, because we've learned a little bit of Hasidus and Kabbalah, right is chesed. chesed. Right is kindness. Right is giving and flowing. And the left is gvura, the left is severity. So Yosef is setting up the situation. Here, give a bracha. And he lines them up so that it should be easy for his father to just go right on the oldest, left on the youngest, bless them, Shalom Yisrael, right? That's not what he does. It says that he crosses his hands. And if you want to, if you have, if you want to know what every single child in a Jewish day school is going to be coming home with arts and crafts today, this, this week, from their school, they're going to be coming home with two hands with a little pin in it so it could swivel like this, okay? Right? Why don't we do that? Because we don't do arts and crafts for the Parsha, but if you want to do arts and crafts for the Parsha, that's what it looks like. There's subversions that are going to be more, they're going to be more advanced, they're going to be less advanced, but that's what it's going to be like. That I'd little love to say what the 2023 version right? of what I made in like 3D hands. Okay, whatever. So, right, so Yaku takes it. What, the pushpin things? Make it ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if you do it, it would really heal my inner child to do it with you. So yeah. everybody can do it. Right. Sydney's organizing arts and crafts afterwards. Yeah. And from now on, we're going to be doing partial arts and crafts with Sydney. It's a new activity. Yeah. Once a week, you might know. Okay, so this is the activity. So, so this right? Always, right? And, 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 and the tribe and, 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 and Egypt with the blood, whatever. We're, the, we're the jumping. Blue, the blue jello. The blue jello. Blue so we're on a cliffhanger right now. Right. So, so Yaakov, Yaakov puts his hands and he's going to switch them. So he's going to put his right hand on the younger child. He's going to put his left hand on the older child. And Yosef starts to protest and he wants to move his father's hands. He thinks his father's old. His father's sick. He doesn't know what's going on. And he says, no, my son, I know exactly what I'm doing. They both deserve the brachas. 
but the younger one is going to be the more dominant one and he needs the blessing more. Who is going to come from the younger son? Joshua. Joshua. Joshua is going to take the people into the land of Israel, is in fact going to come from the younger son, from Ephraim, um, and, um, and Yaakov is sort of giving him power. Rashi brings this out, that Yaakov, when he's, sorry, ooh, Joshua, when he's going to be fighting the wars of God in the land of Israel, and he needs an extension of the time before they had bright lights that they could come into the battlefield, he said to the sun, stop. He stops the sun so they can continue fighting and finish the war. Okay? So that is part of the, the power that he's giving him. Now, I want to back, about, back up a little bit, and I talked about this a little bit, but I want to repeat it again in the context of this conversation. Yosef has two children. No. Yosef has two children before the rest of the family came. We don't know if Yosef had more children afterwards. They don't get, they don't get recorded in Torah because they're not, they, they end up sort of getting subsumed if they, you know, with their, other bro- with their brothers. The first son that he has is Menasha, and he's called Menasha so that I should forget the pain of the past, okay? If we were to talk about in 2023 terms, Menasha is never again. Menasha is never forget. Menasha is Holocaust education, Ibaralis, right? Ephraim, Hifrani, Hashem has multiplied me, Hashem has made me successful, is the place of Jewish continuity, the place of Jewish blossoming, right? And so what, when we talk about what do we need in our lives, we actually need both. We need to have a place of remembering where we came from, remembering our roots, remembering the old country, and remembering what was done to us by people who didn't really like us very much, but that's not the predominant way we need to be living our life. The predominant way we need to be living is with Ephraim, with what am I doing to push this story forward? What am I doing to make it flourish? And not just, I'm not just holding my finger, you know, in the dam and making sure it doesn't all break loose, but what am I doing to make sure that Judaism is alive and vibrant and, 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 and flourishing, that is the word. What am, I, what am I doing? And so when Yaakov is switching his hands and he's giving his predominant blessing to Ephraim, he's also giving us a message that yes, you need to have both. He's not, he's not saying, oh, you're not the oldest anymore. He's not saying, he's not, he's not taking Menasha out of his place. He's, he's there. But at the same time, he's saying, what is the predominant thing that you need to have? You need to have that push forward. You need to have this place of flourishing, of Judaism moving forward, of, of you know, of going. And, and it, it's very interesting, just down to the personal thing. Many, many years ago, the, the first time actually that I went to a conference of shluchas, um, every year there's a conference of all the, of all the, the, the women emissaries of the Rebbe, and I came back and I was depressed. I was like, I met my friend. She was like a shlucha in like, I don't know, Puerto Rico, Costa Rico, one of those places. Her husband like would slaughter the meat and she would kosher the stuff and they like to milk their cows. And it was, it was like, I came back, I'm like, what kind of shlucha am I? I have a choice of kosher. I have a choice of, of schools to send my kids to. I came back, I was like depressed. I was like, this is not the real deal. And if I don't do something, it's going to happen anyway. Like I don't have to organize a menorah, Thing with manure lighting, I don't have to do a, you know, log bomber braid. Like I, what? How? How? How does this make sense? So he said to me, 
because um, my husband's very wise, he said to me that there are, there are many people who are in, who are in places of shlichus where they are menasha, that if they walk away, it will all crumble. There will be nothing. But what are we doing for Ephraim? What are we doing to make sure that Judaism isn't just surviving, but that we're actually flourishing? And, and really, this has been sort of my, for the last 16 years that I'm involved you know, with the women's program, that's really, I've heard, I hear this in my head, like our job is not just to survive, our job is to flourish, and our job is to like have empowered women who are going to change the world one little corner at a time. So thank you for not making me, be, me depressed every single day. <laughs> okay. The other thing that I wanted to stop, I wanted to, I wanted to pop, I wanted to, oh, I'm losing my words. Ooh. The other thing that I wanted to, ne- to mention is that it's very interesting, that, and, and, and we, we highlight this for a second. In chapter 48, verse 1, we hear that Yosef is told, we hear that um, Yosef hears that his father is sick. So he comes to bring his sons. And, um, and, it's see, and then we have this whole blessing the son situation. This is the first time in Torah that we have such a sort of a, like a major production for somebody passing away. And, and a lot of the commentators harp on this word, chole. What does that, I mean, of course if your father was sick, you would go to see him. Like, what's the story? And the Medrash, there's actually two different Medrash, like there's more than one version of Medrash, but there's two different places where the Medrash list uh, says that once upon a time, people didn't get sick. They used to sneeze and die. Mm -hmm. And Yaakov actually davened that people need more warning than that. And he asked, could they get sick? so that they could put their affairs in order. There's, the different Midrashim have the wording differently. One is like, one Midrashim, the Perkadir Eleza says that he and that he should get sick, right? Uh-huh. Um, that he should get sick so that he would know like time to wrap things up. And another Midrash says that he was just, it was like a general prayer. Could people start to get sick? And I, I saw this really, okay? It's like a gazillion pages and maybe I shouldn't have printed. But this, in, thank you God for Wikipedia. Every single language and the blessing that they say when somebody sneezes. Oh, when somebody yeah. and what is the response? Uh, parenthetically, the only language that does not have a blessing for when you English sneeze. No, bless you. Oh, Swedish also. Who Japanese means nothing. No, but they don't say it in Japanese. In Japanese and in, and in, and in uh, Thailand, if somebody sneezes, they think that it means that somebody's talking about you. So, ah. <laughs> no I know but, that about hiccups. Like, so this is so I just printed. I just thought this was so cool. It did like a hundred pages of languages of how people, which means, which means that there's something to this place of a sneeze being something. It's just interesting. It's not. It's not anything that you know. Um, uh, it's just there's just all kinds of interesting things, right? The fact that in every single language, not just oh, we all live next to each other, so this custom spread. This is literally across the world. What do people say? What is said to you when you sneeze, and what is your response as the sneezing? What What is your response? Um, and they're all versions of "bless you, bless you." Um, and oh, but in, in Russian, friends would say "be healthy." Like it's like versions, versions. Nahum, there's, there's, you, if you look through these, there are some very, very interesting things that people say as their blessing. But they're all versions. But they're all versions of some kind of blessing for health or for pro- like, 
for, for something, you know, whether you invoke God's name or you don't invoke God's name. But that means that there was something, um, it wasn't just a, it was a thing, you know, and, and the Medrash actually says that once Yaakov had this place of getting sick and then he called his family and he was able to close his affairs, that um, was something that, that other people were inspired by that, having the ability to know, oh, things are like, let's keep, like, like let's close up, let's close things up. I, I do want to say um, that as interesting as it is, we do know that that unfortunately, it doesn't always happen. You know, people don't always get sick and pass away, so they know. Season, see, what's your, what's your, what somebody sees? What do you say? Season, or whatever you say, bless you or something. Then one of those places I saw. What are, what are the languages? I like. For what do you say for the second season? What do you say for the third season? I was like, that's funky. <laughs> <laughs> has all the multiple seasons. Um, um, so, uh, so I think I want I want to give us a, a, a blessing and a challenge. As before we even finish the parsha, like it would be very nice if we all knew exactly that we had a lot of time to put our affairs in order. But unfortunately, that isn't actually always the case. So I want to give us a a, a challenge that if there's something that you're holding on to that you want to say to somebody, especially if it's something nice, especially if it's you know something that you didn't have a chance or you thought about it or you think they know it but maybe they really don't. I'm going to give us a, a challenge to actually reach out to somebody and, and tell them something that you're thinking about them. Preferably something nice, but if it's not, if it's something you need to get off your chest, then that's also fine. But uh, because we always, I somehow, I feel like we always feel like, oh, they all know that. Everybody, some people know that, and it's not actually true. So I'm not saying, please God, we should all live long, healthy, prosperous lives for many, many, many years and have all different kinds of you know, stuff that happens and things that we need to do. But I think it's, 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 a, good, it's a good thing to, to step into that space for a second and, and, uh, and yeah, and to, to remember to tell somebody something. So, uh, so we have, okay, so that was the thing. Then we have uh, the blessings for the children. The other thing that is very, very interesting that happens over here in chapter 48, verse 5, where Yaakov says to Yosef that the two children who were born to you before we came, Lehaim, they belong to me. They count as part of the, the tribes, right? We know that that um, we always need to have 12 tribes. You know, the world has, there's 12 months, there's 12 axes that the world uh, stands on, and there are, and there are 12 tribes. And, um, and there are times where we don't have, where we don't, we don't have all the tribes, the first 12 in, so, for example, many times the tribe of Levi is not counted with the rest of the tribes. When the tribe of Levi is not counted, the tribe of Yosef also is not counted. And instead we put Ephraim and Manasseh, which is Yosef essentially getting two instead of one. Did that make sense in English? Yes. So, for example, when we divide the, when we divide the land of Israel, well, the tribes get a part in the land of Israel. The tribe of Levi does not get land. Okay, They work for God, so they don't get land. So how do we divide 12? Levi and Yosef step out, and <coughs> Ephraim and Manasseh step in. So, they, so Yosef, the tribe of Yosef essentially ends up with two portions of land as opposed, and, 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 and as opposed to all the rest of the tribes, which only end up with one. Um, and here we have a place, we know that, that the oldest child is supposed to get a double portion, and so Yosef, as the oldest son of Rachel, 
is in fact getting that right of the double portion um, through Menashe and Ephraim. And the other thing, which is super interesting, and I think so, so relevant to us, who are the grandchildren that get included in the, that get included in the tribes? There were other kids. Yaakov comes down with a lot of grandchildren. None of them. They're not part of the party. Right? Who gets included in the tribes? Menashe and Ephraim. The two kids who Yosef somehow managed to raise as identifiable Jews in Egypt, of all places, with no family around, by themselves. With the, they were identifiable. They could somehow stay Jewish. Therefore, Yaakov says... They're part of the tribes. They get to raise your child as a Jew when the whole family is there and they have Hanukkah parties and, and Pesach Seders together. It's a challenge, but it's not as much of a challenge as if you were living in a hole and there you somehow managed to get those values across. Bailey had a comment. Who is Yosef's like, wife? Who is, who is that Yosef's wife was Osnat. Um, Osnat, the daughter of Potiphera. That's how she's in. in she that's, so that's how she. So it's interesting. So she is in. She is identified in Torah as Osnat, the daughter of Potiphera. Medrash tells us that she was actually the daughter of Dina. Dina, who was raped by Shem, and that daughter was Osnat, who was then then adopted by. So it was like his niece. Yes, yes. So that he would have married his niece. So that's what the Medrash says. It's not a genetically great thing to do, but it's halakhically not a problem. Well, you like can't even do so. an aunt and a nephew, right? Well, That's halakhically not. So there's a lot of, I want to just say, there's lots of things that are halakhically okay, but still you shouldn't do it for other reasons. Yeah. Like, also some things like, like marrying your first cousin, like marrying your first cousin, for example. I know it happens. I know it happened, but you better do a lot of genetic testing if that's what you try, if you decide mm-hmm. to do it. It's been happening. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Huh? It's, it's, I know of people. I know people. I know people. Yeah. Oh, people that don't think it's wrong. So my friend's right. mom was at a wedding of first cousins, and she said it was like the most bizarre thing she's ever experienced. Because like Everybody related. She said it was just bizarre like i'm a friend i'm gonna just say that's the least of the issues I like like you like grew up together like you maybe you did maybe you did together babies maybe you did like i feel so close to my first cousins so i feel like you like do. Okay, so, so okay so i want to just say okay but it's actually not it's not incestuous no there's some no no but i want to say there are some times there are family friends and the kids grow up together and it's as incestuous as the first cousins getting married to each other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I want to just say, I know, I'm saying, oh. there's no blood to, it's not incestuous for first cousins to marry each other. I'm just saying, genetically, it's not a great idea. So if that's, if that's what you're going to do, make sure you do a lot of genetic testing. That's all. That's all I'm saying. No, more. More than more than dark shark. You need to do more. You need to know what your family genetics is and to really look into that. Okay. Um, we're getting distracted, man. This is like, yeah. Oh, I have um, a question. Okay, yeah. Do we know where Yosef's married? Yes. Do we know where his kibber is? It's in Shrem. It's in Shrem. It's in Nablus. He was buried in Egypt, but then he was taking his bones. He moved his bones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About the Osnat thing? Yes. About his wife. Because is it like confirmed that the daughter of Potiphera, like... Was the it's the medrash it's the medrash because like it's the medrash the pharaoh right was a priest an Egyptian like idolater priest so well I'm sure I'm sure it was like one of those names like John I'm sure it was not only one person who had that name first of all um 
right. The pharaohs all they were all the same. They was they had the same name for the king, like Caesars and pharaohs. It's like a generic name for the, for the ruler and the right. Um, um, so so the Chumash, the Torah identifies her as Asnat Bathotifera, but the measure says it was the daughter of Dina. What was it actually? I don't know. Who was she actually? I don't know. In here it says uh, his wife said receiving was telling Yosef to take the children to Yaakov. And he's and she said receiving a blessing from a sadik is equal equivalent to the receiving a blessing from Hashem. Take the sons to Yaakov so that they may bless them. Right, but the question is, so she is, had to have had a relationship with Hashem. Could, yeah, well, well in the in the minimum was that she would have converted. If she yeah, wasn't right. Dina's daughter, she would have she would have converted. Yeah, right. Right, because if we look at the you look at the gene pool, who were they marrying? Like they didn't have so many. There were like that was that was that was one option. The Medrash says that she was the daughter of Dina, so therefore she wouldn't have needed to convert. It's a whole, it's a whole long, interesting Medrash, but a little bit, we have like 10 minutes, so I don't want to focus on it right now, but it's a good question. Um, in fact, what's that actually very interesting is that when, is that when um, Yaakov actually wants to bless them, he, at one point, he says over here, who are these children? Because he saw that they're going to be wicked people coming from them. And so Yosef actually brings his ketubah out to show his father that, no, they're really, you know, like, he's all ready to bless them. And then all of a sudden he's like, wait, who are these kids? He's like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, Menasha. We have some bad kings that come from them. Oh. Yeah. Um, who was the, was, was the evil guy, Menasha, who at the end of his life did Teshuva also from them? Menasha, I don't know that Menasha did Shuba at the end of his life. He was a terrible king. But there was one. No, but he did like did him do to Shuba at the end of his life. It says like there's like one line about it. I don't know. I can't speak intelligently about something I don't know about. But uh, um, okay, the one I want to just stay here a second. Okay, uh, Yaakov actually now that he he's already gotten Yosef to swear that he's going to bury him in Egypt, but now when it's actually push comes to shove and he's really sick and he's like. So he gives her this whole spiel about how um, uh, when I when we came and Rachel, your mother Rachel, died on the way and um, and I buried her on the side and I know that you have harsh feelings to me because I did this. Um, uh, in one second. Um, and. And, and Rashi says, the Pasuk says in verse 7, he says that, that, uh, that, um, that Rachel died on me and um, before we got it, and I buried her on the, I buried her near, in, in near Frata and I buried her on the side of the road. And Rashi says that, he says, I know you have harsh feelings for me. Like, here your mother passed away, you know, on the way and... Um, and I couldn't take her to Mars Machpelah. I couldn't take her to Hebron. And I just buried her like on the side of the road. Such an interesting random fact, which I did not know. Um, you know that, that's, that, can you picture what like the tomb of Rachel looks like in the pictures? Yeah. Like this dome and a thing? That was actually built by Moses Montefiore. I did not know that. So it's like a, a fairly, huh? Moses Montefiore. And like in the 1840, like in 1840, I think he built it. He was a very rich Jew. Uh, from Europe, and he put a lot of money into the land of Israel. Okay, well, whatever was it the oh, yeah, the yeah. windmill, Yimin Moshe, Masqueret Batya, lots and lots of neighborhoods. He put a lot of money into a lot of places. 
1840. So like there was a before there was like a dome and like pillars, and he made it a whole uh, of an enclosed Wait, but space. Juicier. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Josh Rachel. Um, uh, so he put it in. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting that there was a whole conversation back and forth from the rabbis in Europe if that was a good thing to do. Closing in the tent, closing in the space. Was it a good thing? Was it a bad thing? It's. It's. A, it was an interesting article that I read. Um, so. So Yaakov is saying like like why like I Rashi brings that I know you have these harsh feelings to me that I just buried her on the side and um, and I'm asking you to do this whole schlep and take me to, to Canaan, to take me up to the land of Canaan. And Rashi brings that I did it by Alpiat Dibur, that Hashem told me to do it, so that she could be there for her children. That Rachel and, 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 the, and, the, and the Mepharshim, the, the commentaries on Rashi, talk about how Rachel wanted to be there, that she should be there for her children, that if she would have been in Hebron or any place further, she would have been off the road. They wouldn't have been able to stop and, and daven for her. They wouldn't have been able to come to her to, to pray on their behalf. And we know that, the, that her prayers are the ones that the prophet Jeremiah tells us are the ones that are heard on high, that there's a promise that her children will come back to their borders. The first one of Rachel's children who, who cries at her grave, anybody know? It's Yosef. When Yosef is sold by his brothers, he passes his his mother's grave. So he's the first one who actually does that. And there... How did he know she was there? How did he know that she was there? He lived there. What do you mean? Uh, he was nine when she died. Uh-huh. So, like, they lived in Hebron. So, like, it was a, you know, it was a couple of days travel, maybe, with bad roads from Hebron to Bethlehem, like, to outside Bethlehem. Um, uh, and, and, and it's interesting because... Uh, uh, Rashi, Rashi writes it that Yaakov assumed that he felt that Yosef had harsh feelings to him and there's a sikha where there talks about the idea that Yosef trusted his father so implicitly, implicitly that he never doubted that there was a reason that he did it and he, didn't, he actually didn't have any hard feelings to his father um, so that's what's going on so then he, he blesses them and then he um, um, okay, so we have a blessing for the Menashe and Ephraim. We have a, the blessing that parents bless their children uh, with is their, they bless their sons that Hashem should, uh, Hashem should make you like Ephraim and Menashe. So that's what's going on over here. Um, so we have this bracha. Then, yeah, so chapter, chapter 48, verse 6, no, verse 20, that's where he said, where Yah, where Yah, uh, Yaakov says that the Jewish people will bless their children like this to say that they should be like Ephraim and Menashe and there are many people who have a custom every Friday night to bless their children um, which would, sounds very beautiful um, and what's interesting is he blessed them that day to say and some of the more modern commentaries talk about the idea that the blessing that Yaakov was giving was that we should be able to be in the present, we should be able to live by Yom Hahu in today, in the space that we are right now, and not keep chasing what was, what will be, but like to be able to be present. And I think today, as a as a an ADHD generation, Alfie, it's a very big no. It's a very big bracha. I think it's a very no, no, no. I'm, 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 you started off this class with that. I think it's a very big bracha to be able to be present uh, with whatever it is that's going on over here right now. The next. To Aliyah, the next two Torahs, the, the fourth reading and the fifth reading is where Yaakov 
calls all of his children and he gives them blessings. If you actually read through the text, not all of them sound like, sound like blessings. Some of them sound very harsh where he really tells them off. Um, um, he, he, he highlights things that are not so good about them. Uh, and if you see over here, he talks about Shimon and Levi, uh, right? Chapter 49, verse 5. So first of all, he talks about Reuben, that he's impetuous, and he, he's whatever. And then Shimon and Levi, and this is what I want to say, he, he talks about he doesn't want to be part of their secrets, and it says, Kiba'apam hargu'ish, in their anger, verse 6, they, in their anger they killed a person, and, and, with their, and in their will they, they uprooted a, a, a shore, a, an ox, um, and there he's talking about the whole episode where they went and they killed uh, the people of Shin and Lady, but the Kutzker Rebbe says something which I think is a, a lesson that we could walk away with. So he says that Kiba'apam Hargu'ish, that with their, with their anger they killed a person. So we know that Af in Hebrew, which body part is an Af? A nose. A nose, right? So Apam, with their nose, <laughs> they could kill. Right? That with a twist of your nose, you could kill a person. Somebody says to you, What do you think of that person? <laughs> right? I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything, right? But did you say everything? You said everything. Um, that, that uh, you know, as, as a walkaway lesson, you know, like to, to be a little bit more in control of, of our responses and what are we saying with our body language. I thought that, I think that's a, that's a kind of cool one. Um, Here in the Midrash, it says Yis- Yisakar yeah. was called a bony ass. <laughs> It's, a, it's another word for a donkey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all of them are compared to animals. He a tribe all... of Yiskar will produce a Torah student who will bear the yoke of a Torah just right. as a donkey carries its burden. It's heavy load, right. Yeah. So every single one of the tribes is compared to, another, to a different animal, and they actually had flags that had their animal and their colors on it. So we're going to skip all the brachas and things. We'll get to that. We'll wrap up with that in a second. The end of it, the end of Now, then we have Yaakov passes away. And he actually tells them where, how he should be carried out of Egypt. And he basically says that Yosef doesn't carry because he's the king. Levi doesn't carry because he is going to, uh, he's going to work for God. He's going to carry the ark. And all the rest, he, he says, which three brothers should carry his, his coffin on each side? Um, and later on, when Moses is going to set up the camp of the Jewish people, he's going to copy that encampment. The way they, get, the way they carry Yaakov is the way they're actually going to camp in the desert, um, each of them to the side. And there's an interesting... An is- we don't have time for this. Okay. Um, <laughs> shocking but true, we ran out of time. Um, there's an in- I, I just want to say that there's an interesting conversation about why do Yaakov, sorry, why did Yosef and Levi in a way get penalized and not being able to have the mitzvah of carrying their father's, um, and, and not be able, of carrying their, helping to bury their father. First of all, Yosef was the one who had the, the, he swore to his father he was going to do it. And like it's such a big mitzvah. These are things that are going to happen like, like in such a long time. Like Yosef's the, Yosef's the king now, but this is still such a big mitzvah. Levi's not going to work in the house of God for 200 years. Like, why did they not get the mitzvah? And one of the things that Hasidus explains 
is that there's a very big difference between the brothers who end up doing Egypt really in a heavy way. They're the ones who all actually end up carrying Yaakov. Yosef and, and Levi, their experience of Egypt is very, very different than everybody else's. And so if, if Yaakov passing away is the beginning of the bad times in Egypt, meaning it's not going to actually get really bad for a bunch of years. It's, we're going to learn next week when we open up the book of Shemos that the heavy, the heavy uh, exile, the heavy, the heavy servitude doesn't start till Levi passes away. Um, and yes, as long as Yosef's alive, he protects them. But there's something that goes on once Yaakov passes away and he's, and he, uh, and, and so, so his, so the question of who carries Yaakov out of Egypt, who's the one who helps start that slavery can't be the people who are unaffected by the slave, by, by the exile. Yosef and Lady, who are not going to be as affected by the exile as the rest of the brothers, can't be part of the start of the exile that's going to happen with Yaakov's leaving and being buried in the land of Israel. Um, okay, I'm, going to, I'm stealing two minutes of your time. I apologize. If you need to leave, you can leave. Um, but I just want to finish two, two thoughts. Yaakov gets buried out. He gets buried in the land of Israel. It's called the land of Canaan at that point. Yosef, at the end of our parsha, gets buried in Egypt. And there's two ways that we deal with our problems. How do we help somebody in need? There's two different ways. There's the Yaakov way. You see somebody who's drowning, you stand on the firm shore and you throw a lifeline to them to help pull them out. That's a Yaakov attitude. But then there's Yosef, where Yosef is in Egypt with the people. And as long as he's in Egypt, and he, the, our Torah portion is gonna, is, gonna, is, gonna, is gonna finish, where Yosef tells his brothers, Hashem will redeem you, and when he does, take my bones with you. Don't leave me here. Meaning, as long, Yosef, who is the leader of Egypt, he's the king of Egypt, still understands that Egypt is not his place. And when the Jews have, they, he understands, they will not be able to get him out. It took a lot of protection to be able to get Yaakov out of the land of Egypt. He knows that nobody's going to be able to pull it off. But he says, when you are redeemed, take me with you. And there's the place of how do we help from being there with the people who are suffering. And Yosef and Yaakov are two paradigms of what's going on and how they're going to help the Jewish people. You have Yaakov, who's going to be outside, sort of advocating with them, and Yosef, who's with them, where they say that it's, it's all, you know, that we're all here, we're all in this together. This week is also Parshas Chazak. We're finished the whole. We're finishing the whole book of of Bereshis, the whole book of, of right, the whole book of Genesis. Chazak, Chazak, we need Chazek. So I want to give us a bracha and I want to give us a challenge. And a challenge I I know is a big one. And not a test. Not yeah, exactly. A test. It's not a test. It's not a test. Um, it might be because I, it entails no. getting up and going to show. <laughs> um, my bracha to all of us is that this is the week that Yaakov, that Jacob blesses all of the children, even the ones that look a little bit funny, borrow the book, see, 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 the, see what, he, what the measure says about them. All of them are, in fact, blessings. And he gives all of them individual blessings and a general blessing for all of them together. And I want to give us, I'm not going to give my own blessing. I think that we all have to be able to tap into the place that we are being blessed for our personal needs, for our personal talents, and also as part of the Jewish people, this is the week that we're going to be living with those blessings 
all the way through. That's one, that's my bracha to all of us. And my challenge to us is that this week we're going to be, the, we're going to, in shul, they're going to finish the chumash and they're going to all scream out, chazak, 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 you should be strong, you should be strong and you should be, you should be strengthened. And there's a lot of power in that blessing. It means, it's like, it's just, you can do this. And I want to give us a challenge and a bracha that if we make it to show, so I guess I'm, I'm mitigating it, if we make it to show, that we should think about something that we want to be strengthened in in our relationship with Hashem. And if we think about it for two minutes before we go into show, when we're there, even the most quiet Ashkenazi show, they're going to belt out chazak, chazak, v'nit chazek. It's going to be loud, it's going to be a, re- and in my know for sure they're going to be shouting. Tap into the bracha. Use that energy that's being given to us, the blessings from everybody around us, for something that we want to be strengthened in personally and our service of Hashem. We are blessed. We should be able to feel the blessings in our life personally. And as Am Yisrael, as a collective, we should all feel those blessings with the really die. We should be ready for the, we're all ready for the redemption already. So we're ready. We're ready. Like God, just, just do it. Have an awesome rest of the day.